Welcome to 353rd, where we discuss the impact of the internet on business. I'm Anders Brownworth. And I'm Scott Barstow. So we figured we'd dive in really quickly today and talk about, I, I ran across this, uh, I actually don't even remember how I originally got to it, this video um, by this guy by the name of Brett Victor. Uh, it's a Vimeo video of a talk he gave, which, uh, which uh, I believe you have seen. Uh, I have, I have, I've watched it at least twice. I believe at least twice. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So this guy is interesting. He he poses uh, a number of uh, uh, interesting uh, solutions to to UI problems that, uh, or or I'm, I would even say UI problems you don't even know that you know you have, uh, especially as a as a programmer as a coder. Uh, you don't you don't think very much about a uh, UI problem that you have until you see how you can program, uh, you know, visually. Anyway, so the, so we'll have a, a link to this up on the website, and, and you should really go uh, take a look at it. But um, I thought what we would do is just sort of talk through uh, talk through some of the things that he was talking about. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a great plan. The the I have some. I have some notes from both the technical pieces, which I found just completely compelling. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, also I felt like his sort of commentary on how to apply principles, life principles to work in technology, I thought was also really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So, well, why don't you dive in? So I thought, uh, let's talk about the technical stuff first, yeah. because that's, uh, once you watch this video, I think you'll... Uh, you'll see that uh, it's just there's the things that he does in there. You may it's one of those things that just make you smack yourself in the head and say, "Of course." Yeah, and, sort of an iPhone yeah. moment. Yeah, and I think it's what's interesting is I forget his the exact phrase that he used, um, but it, the his life philosophy is basically that artists should be able to see what they're doing as soon as they do it. Yeah, and and he happens to be a uh, he's a technology guy. He's done uh, his his website is worrydream.com. He's done some amazing work. He's worked for Apple and a number of other companies, uh, but he he shows a number of demonstrations where he's coding on one side of the screen and the results are showing on the other in real time. In real time, and so you can immediately see what your changes look like. And I know that after I watched this, or as I was watching it, you and I were kind of chatting back and forth on Skype as it was as I was watching it. Yeah. And the it's it's just one of those things where you say, well, of course, because as you and I talked about, the, one of the most frustrating things about doing uh, software development is that you really have to imagine what's happening in your head as you're writing it. Because you typically with most development language, you have you have either a compile process or you've got to run something uh, in order to see what the results are. At a, so if it's a you know if it's Objective C or C sharp or something like that, you're having to compile it before you see the results of your changes. And if so, it's a, so, you know if it's, well, let's give us for example because I think that's where this. I mean, if you haven't seen the video, this is really what you need to know. So uh, when when I code, uh, with, I think the example he was using was JavaScript. When I code something in JavaScript, let's say I'm going to uh, code a loop 
uh, I'm going to want to do something maybe a hundred times. So I'll say, you know, for int i equals or var i equals, uh, you know, zero, i is, you know, less than a uh, hundred, uh, you know, i plus plus. So yep. just, keep add, just keep adding one until you get to a hundred. Do whatever these things are. Well, what you can do is take the mouse and drop it down at that uh, 100 number and drag that up. And then you'll see the loop will have executed many more times. And uh, the uh, sort of on the, the pane to the right or whatever, uh, the value of the variables is shown. So you can see... Um, in the case of a loop and a, and a variable, what you're doing when you're coding is you're kind of keeping in your mind, all right, you know, this variable stands for this, that variable stands for that. In some incantation of the loop, it might be a five and a three, and then the next time around, it's going to be a six and a four or whatever. Yeah. Um, so those things are shown. You see the contents of the variable each iteration of the loop and, and each iterations of the loop, uh, you know, just basically make more and more copies of the variable out to add infinitum. Like, for example, if your loop said, well, true, you know, yes. we just show you a million of them. So the, the point is you've got the ability to kind of go in and tweak the value of variables to see what the net effect of the changes. Now, when you're coding something like, uh, you know, you're, you're trying to play the lottery a million times and see how many times you win or something that's kind of, uh, you know, variable and loop kind of base that, that it really helps to be able to see many variables. But his other example had to do with programming, uh, using a program to draw an image of, in this case, a tree. And as you adjusted one of the loops, it would loop through and put, you know, five leaves on, on the end of each uh, a tree limb. Uh, yes. and you, you could push that up and make it 10 leaves or 100 leaves or whatever it was. And suddenly you find things that you would never have seen if you had to wait for that compile time cycle. You, Correct. You can you can push that uh, value over, and suddenly the tree starts to like you know shimmer around, looking like the wind is blowing. And all you're really doing is adding and subtracting leaves. Uh, so it allows you to kind of figure things out that you would have no visibility into unless it's a real time system. That was one of the things. But anyway, so I'm interrupting you. So I <laughs> yeah. So I think the 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 thing that's been uh, the thing that was sort of an eye opener for me in the first part of that. Uh, presentation is he talked at the end, I think it was at the end or toward the middle of the first part of it, where he sort of said, you know, today's development languages come from yeah, all of the uh, the way that we used to do things, where you would you know put a set of instructions on a card and jam that card into the into the machine, and it would go execute them in a batch format, right? And yeah. he said, really, we haven't changed uh, most of most development language has hasn't really evolved a whole lot further from that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And you see that you know in your example, if you were writing that loop and you were writing it in Java, let's say. Uh, you would have to, if you wanted to see what the variable, what the values of those variables were at runtime, you would have to hook up a debugger, or you would have to do some debug statements and dump stuff out. Yeah, system um, print line or whatever. Yeah, whatever. And so you would have to actually compile it, you know, run the program, you know, key in all of the things uh, to make it do what you expect, and then watch the behavior. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just a much slower way to. To work, and I thought the point that he made about, you know, seeing that you just talked about, where you see things as you're working that you would never see if you have to go through this kind of, you know, okay, you know, c 
code it, compile it, run it kind of process. So uh, that's so. the creative input. It allows you that that very, very tight feedback loop from uh, from making a change to seeing the result. When that is ultra tight, like real time, yep. you're suddenly able to be creative in a way that you've never been creating. You know, the other thing that this watching this video kind of kicked into my mind is how how constrained by original convention the world of computer science is today. Yep. Like why is it, why does all code have to be a text on a thing? It doesn't have to be. I mean, there no. were programming languages that, you know, logo and stuff that would uh, allow you to arrange objects and, and things on a screen, kind of make a picture. So, so what we have right now is very kind of tied to, like you were saying, that punch card uh, interface where, yeah. You know, it was line by line. And I remember back in the day, uh, uh, we lived across the street when I was growing up from uh, State University of New York at Stony Brook. Uh, and walking down the hall in the computer science department at one time, uh, this this is when in the 1970s, this one guy, you know, poor, maybe it was the early 80s, poor class, you know, guy trying to run to class, tripped and fell and and his punch cards strewn out across the floor and for whatever reason there were no line numbers on these things so oh, suddenly oh my gosh. All, it was awful uh, <laughs> i remember he was crying uh, which was uh, which was quite poignant i mean when you got a, a thousand line program i mean that was a box of cards i mean that was yeah. no joke so, yeah anyway but it's constrained by that still which is yeah, and what's what I what I really enjoyed about this is that he sort of laid all of that out for you and said, "There's yeah. no reason why that's the case anymore." Yeah, it should it be the can't case. Be a, yeah, why it should be the case anymore? That yeah. you can do it a different way, and people need to be developing tools that help you do it a different way. I thought it was a really interesting, really interesting presentation. I thought the the tree one was obviously uh, you know a neat thing, but the stuff he followed on with both yeah. with electrical circuits and. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just, uh, it was awesome. So electrical circuits, are you familiar with this iPad app called iCircuit? You remember I'm this? Not, so I went to the, electric, I'm not an electrical circuit guy either. I, I, I love this stuff, but I, I just, just, you know, I, I can't, I can't do it because software is too compelling. But in any case, I went to the Apple store one day and I was noticing one of the apps on the iPads they had there was this program called iCircuit. So I grabbed it. It's like, you know, a couple bucks or whatever. And just gives you a blank screen and, and allows you to drop in transistors, resistors, capacitors, the whole thing. Draw wires, this type of thing. And then you can turn on the power and just, you know, it runs the, the circuit and it does whatever it's going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I find it's most interesting with, with digital, but I mean, it also works for analog. It tells you you can pop in a little probe and see what the, uh, you know, what the current is in a certain place. It's, it's, it's very, very close to the kind of an interface that he was demonstrating in the ah, video. Interesting. Uh, so if you want to play with one of the things that he's talking about, check out iCircuit on the iPad. It is, and I think it's on the iPhone too. Um, but it is it is spectacularly good uh, where you can attach an oscilloscope to any point in the circuit and kind of see what's going on. It's, it's fascinating. Um, not the quickest thing in the world, uh, though. It, it, it 
kind of slow when you when you make a big circuit. Um, you know, I tried to make a calculator with it, and it was <laughs> it was it was dog. And <laughs> then again, I have a, like a Rev One iPad, you know. So yeah, that's probably, what mine is as well. Yeah, it's not yeah. good. So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have to uh, as the iPad three and all of that stuff draws nigh. We'll, that yeah. will that will require significant attention on our part. Yeah, I think that's probably going to happen uh, happen for me mostly for the. Uh, the rumors of a much higher res screen. That's really yep. what I'm interested in. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And the current one is no slouch. So. No, it's, yeah, it's not. It's not bad. But uh, so. yeah. So anyway, yeah. so any other any other thoughts on that uh, uh, on, on on his uh, 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 sort of app practical application? Because I have comments on his you know, on his thoughts, which he presents. No, I, I think that, I think the, that's really best experienced by watching the video. I agree. And, and if you're a, and if you're a coder and you see this stuff, you're, it's going to be, you're going to be, you're going to love it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely going to love it. You're going to sit there thinking about what your life could be like if the UI you were using was better than a text editor. Yep. I yeah, mean, and even the best of them, uh, just to close this part out, even the best of them, and I would put, um, you know, I've been a I've been a C sharp guy for a long time, coded in yeah. TextMate for Ruby, but I you know, I consider Visual Studio to be one of the better IDEs out there, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just think about I I just think about something like Visual Studio with that kind of uh, with that kind of ability to develop applications would be mind blowing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, it, anyway. it totally, and see, here's the other. You get in, you get into the. Uh, I've ne- I've never been a uh, uh, a Microsoft developer, really. You, you you that's kind of more what you've done. For me, I the 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 IDE I guess uh, that a lot of people have is going to be Eclipse. Yeah. Um, you know, or IntelliJ. That's good too. Yeah, IntelliJ. Yeah, is, uh, IntelliJ is a good one. Really yeah, but, good. You one. know, even now, I I use Emacs. I still use Emacs. I mean, I, I was using Emacs in the '80s, and I'm still using Emacs. Yeah. I mean, it's just I, I you know, I don't know. It's hard. I don't know. I guess old habits die hard. I'm not sure. I know I so. IDEs are good and all, but that but they were not able to pull me away from Emacs, though this would. This yeah. definitely would, because because with with uh, you know your IntelliJ or or, or Eclipse or, or whatever Visual Studio, you know uh, you get completion, you get the ability to jump around uh, to different methods and different files and stuff. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of benefit there, but it's it still was never enough to completely pull me out of the shell. Huh. This this would this is just a a paradigm shift as far as that's concerned. All right, so let's talk about let's talk about the rest of his the second half of his presentation, yeah, which I thought which was just awesome, uh, and he, and I I remember it was it was just called principles as I as I think back on the presentation, and one of the things that I thought was um, was really interesting is that he said you know my life principle as I said at the be, beginning of this show or whenever I said it was this guy's life principle was artists should be able to see things as as they are see things in real time yeah and and so and and that's how that's the lens through which he evaluates and looks at the world mm-hmm. and I thought it was one of the first points that he made that I thought was interesting is that 
is this idea of seeing a problem and solving it because it's a problem, not because you can make money. So I thought it was a really interesting distinction between the idea of solving a problem because it violates your life principle versus solving a problem because it's an opportunity and there's a you know there's an opportunity to make money and it's a it's a felt need in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Two very different ways to approach. Um, you know, how you do your work and really interesting thought. What were your thoughts on that? Well, so I think it's a, it's very much a uh, sort of like a third world versus first world kind of a dichotomy. I agree. In the third world, you know, you, you or an agrarian nation or something, right? You work, you're almost, you're hand to mouth. It's a, practicality dictates everything. Yes. Where you have this ability, we're, we're so lucky to be in the top 1% of, of, uh, you know, people on the planet here. Uh, we have this, I would argue then unique, uh, uh, chance to do something, not to pull the money in, but rather for other reasons. And then if money follows, you know, it follows. Yeah, um, it's funny that you say that because one of the first thoughts I had after I watched this, mm-hmm. and I, I, you know, I looked back at my notes. I was like, "This is a, this is really a first world approach to work." Yeah, um, because you have this. I thought one of the points that he talked about was that you know, really, the cost of failure is minimal, and yeah. you know, the idea that okay, if I do this and it goes poorly. What does that really cost me? It might cost me some money. It might cost me a little bit of time, but it's not going to cost me my life. It's not going to cost me probably, you know, my house. It might not, it's probably not going to have dire consequences Mm -hmm. for me long term. It's a recoverable problem. And that's something that, you know, really, as you said, that's really something that we enjoy you know, in the U.S. and obviously in developed, you know, developed countries where we're in the top five to 10% of the, of, of incomers, you have this luxury, and it is a luxury, mm-hmm. um, to be able to think about the world this way. Yeah, and it is, uh, you know, it is getting, you know, getting even more extreme, especially as we look at what the internet is doing to business today. Not to just to tie it all totally back to uh, the three fifty third, you know, tagline, but you can start a, a web business. For essentially no money, really just a time investment of which you you actually have time because you don't have to work, you know, uh, fourteen hours a day just to just to eat. Yeah. Um, so we're to the point where you could literally start a business, and I think it's interesting because uh, looking at young people today, they uh, uh, talk about creating a company. Right, and there is no structure from what you would consider a normal company. All they're really talking about is working together in a group to make something, and then if they can sell it later on down the road, they 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 do, and then suddenly they make money, and then suddenly it turns into what we would consider a company. But uh, you know, it's it's just the bar has lowered so much that a five dollar you know web host account and a bunch of time can spawn the next great uh, idea in, in user interface or, or whole product or industry or whatever it is. So, yeah. uh, so this is just getting more and more sharp. Yeah, and, yeah. It's really it's putting a f- still finer point on because there's lots of people that just sort of say, "Oh well, I I have this opportunity. I see this. Uh, you know, I can go make 
uh, iPhone protective covers. Yeah. And, you know, and I can sell them for 10 bucks a piece and it'll cost me five bucks a piece and I'll make, you know, I'll make a little bit of extra money every month. And so that's kind of, that's, you've got one camp that's kind of doing those things that they're mm -hmm. new to that game and looking for those kinds of opportunities. And then you've got things like, like Brett was talking about where you're looking at the problem much more in a cult through a cultural lens that mm -hmm. this is a problem that should be solved because there's no re because it's causing you know inefficiency or you know or it's causing you know more work than it should or whatever the whatever the case may be I, if you remember he talked about the guy that invented the mouse and yep. and a couple of other really good examples from the from the 70s uh, where these guys just focused on a problem because they just felt like it had to be solved. Yeah. Not not because they felt like they would get rich from it or mm -hmm. anything like that. And I remember similarly reading um, a similar idea or reading a, the Steve Jobs biography where he said, you know, there were times when I've when I had a lot of money and there were times when I had no money and it never affected me either way. Yeah, and I actually believe it out of him. Yeah, I do too. I don't mm -hmm. think I'd believe it out of many others, but I do believe it. And I think that's why he was able to be so focused is mm -hmm. because it was, this was something he felt like he was writing a wrong. Yeah. I really felt, I really think that's true. And I think that's what, basically what this guy is saying is that, you know, it's you, if you look at, or if you're able to look at the work that you're doing and evaluate things that, uh, and really, you know, study what's going on around you. I thought that was a really interesting point that just to pay attention Mm -hmm. to what's happening and not looking at it through the lens of, oh, well, this is, if I do this, I can exploit the market and make a bunch of money. It's if I, I see these things, you know, I see people doing X, you know, I see people driving too much or I see people, you know, having to uh, use their computer in a way that's not efficient or whatever those things are. And being able to look at it that way and having a, a principle that says that's something that I want to work on because I feel like that's a, a more of a cultural problem than just an opportunity to, you know, start a business around an idea. Sure. I did. So it comes down to, to, you know, motivation it comes down to why, why you're doing these things. And, and I think that is, is a, the critical thing that separates Apple from a lot of other companies because they're in a sense, not afraid to cannibalize the, the products that they make. Um, so, Clay Christensen uh, over here at Harvard, uh, uh, he's at the business school. He, he's, his whole thing is about uh, watching the, uh, the creative destruction that happens as, uh, as technology companies kind of go through their life cycle, which can be as short as like three years from boom to bust, uh, and, and watching what the successful ones do versus unsuccessful. It's interesting because his – his uh, proposed solution to this is uh, when a, when a company does very well and then uh, you know in trying to satisfy its own customers it kind of misses the new emergent technology loses you know misses that foothold and then just goes down the other side very quickly the solution to that in in his suggestion was to essentially create a competing company 
totally separate but still within that same company uh, and and allow them to kind of race off and try all these different uh, yeah. technologies and kind of get a foothold there and then only when uh, the market has emerged and and it becomes stable you know rope them back into the company but Apple doesn't do that uh, I find it interesting because traditional uh, companies are kind of set up in a, in a structure where the different uh, divisions have profit and loss, uh, uh, you know, responsibilities kind of all throughout the organization. And it seems to me at Apple, there's one guy really with P&L responsibility, and that's a CFO. Everybody else is trying to make the best product possible. So it allows this uh, this this uh, more harmonious ecosystem in the sense that that uh, you know OSX uh, is the underpinnings of iOS, and now iOS is coming back and uh, really you know helping out uh, OSX become uh, you know much more uh, user friends, kind of like borrowing the concepts back and forth. That kind of thing happens, and then you have like the iPhone come out and totally cannibalize the iPod business. Nowadays, we're like, well, who cares? I mean, you know, the iPhone business is enormous. Uh, but if you were kind of doing that as a traditional company, you probably would have shot the iPhone project down, uh, at least in respect to uh, a music player, because it cannibalizes your, uh, uh, you know, your your i iPod business. So it all comes down to motivations. What are you trying to do? In the sense of Google, uh, Apple, they're kind of really focused on making a, a, a great product and uh, trying to ignore all the classical things that you would be taught in business school to worry about. And I think that, uh, you know, they've been able to do it in a, to a remarkable degree. And I feel like that company is very deep. It's got a lot of talent, a lot of depth to it. It's, it's you know, uh, Steve Jobs is obviously no longer there. It, it I, I think it's got a really, really long runway just in, in, in the, you know, the product cycle that it's got right now, but still has that key to be able to not be structured amongst you know, in a way that allows the company to be uh, susceptible to being uh, taken out by a kind of new up-and-coming technology out of the blue. Uh, it's a remarkable achievement. I mean, it's it's really uh, adapted well to the quickly changing uh, technology environments, kind of staying ahead of the, the curve. Um, that's a bit of a, a monologue and a bit of, you know, running off into the weeds there. But wow, that was uh, quite a tangent. You like that? You know, I figured Good we gracious. could push it out to half an hour podcast. Something like that. <laughs> like five minute monologue. That's right. So you know, I try to you know aim to please. Um, anyway, so so what about this idea that he talks about? Where where I, one of the things I wrote down from his talk uh, was he said, "Don't work on things where you don't believe in the outcome." Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting in a number of ways because there's there's a there's a there's a couple of ways to take that. I think one, the obvious one is, you know, where you have some sort of moral, uh, you don't believe in the moral outcome, which yeah. I think is part of what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing he was talking about there is if this succeeds, will you care? Yeah enough about it that it's you know you can make it at least some part of your life's work and be and be happy to talk about it one of the things i've thought about and we talked about this was early on i know we talked about um 
you know, some of the work that I've done with precision agriculture companies. And Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I was thinking about when he said that was you sort of have this niggling feeling when you're dealing with companies that uh, like, uh, you know, these big ag companies Mm -hmm. where you, you have a real philosophical, uh, at least I do, I'm sure not everybody does, but you have a real philosophical difference with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You're going to give a for instance? So uh, just a for instance is, you know, if Monsanto has a, uh, has a well-publicized kind of mode of operation of, uh, for instance, if I plant, you know, some corn seed in my field and you plant Monsanto corn seed in your field, and the and it cross pollinates. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a effectively a patent uh, and copyright violation. Right. And and then there's nothing you can do about it. Right. I can't yeah. prevent. Uh, you know wind the wind from, from. Yeah, I can't prevent that. Well, you could have so, put up a big you know bubble over your fields. <laughs> <laughs> I could. Yeah, I could. So I think you know you hear about things like that, and and then uh, but then you. And then you're, you know, you're kind of working with these companies that do these kind of things. And you just sort of get these little niggling things that are like, mm, that kind of bothers me. Yeah, that kind uh-huh. of bothers me. Yeah. So I think that was part of what he was saying. I think the other is uh, that if, you, if you're working on something and you, and, it, and you don't feel it's not a part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And the product isn't something where, you know, if you're, if you're successful in whatever success means uh, in that particular context, that, that uh, you know, it's going to be an outcome that you'll be proud of. I think he's basically saying you need to, again, this is a first world problem uh, that, you know, what he would say is that's not something worth working on. Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I didn't originally think of the moral uh, implication, although it's obvious, I, I, I suppose. Uh, not I suppose, it certainly is. Uh, when, I, when I try to pick off the thing to do, um, it really has more, about, more to do with impact and how, and, you know, how, how, how it can uh, – really alter the landscape. And you can take that to mean, you know, just, just simply it's going to be, you know, do well in the market or, or it's going to like really change the way people kind of live their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, I, I'm, I've, I've thrown down with Republic Wireless. That's my thing. And, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I really believe in that as, as, as the, the, you know, as being able to deliver this. Um, but it is, it is critical because I don't think you, uh, you know, if, for example, if I were working for Monsanto, you know, I'd, I, I'd <laughs> very easily quit, you know, right. whereas, you know, it sort of explains the motivation to why people go to startups when, when, you know, barely one in 10 succeed, you know, and every, all the rest of them kind of just die a horrible, you know, disastrous death. Um, so I, I think it actually is my, my point is it's very common. Like yeah. I think a lot of people do this, but it's great to to point it out. Um, yeah, I think so too. And I think it, what I found good about it, it was, is that it sort of brought it back to top of mind. Yeah, is you know, That's and it true. makes you sort of look at everything that you're doing right now and saying, yeah. oh, yeah, is this something that yeah, does this fit? Know, does this fit with yeah. who I am? Uh-huh. 
And uh, and if the answer to that is no, then yeah. you know you have two choices. You either change. Well, it's you know it's you know I'm going to change, or I've got to let this thing go. All right. Yeah. And uh, so that, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, what 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 were your kind of high points from? I know we're we're pushing up against. We the, are. Uh, yeah. The, so the time, well, so. well, I mean, I, the, the, that that neatly encompasses it. I would say that this. Watching this video and what he's talking about, it's just like an iPhone moment. It's yeah. just like that point where everybody was toting around the Treo and the uh, and Treo 650 and the you know Nokia little candy bar type phones and the the I think the hot phone at the time was like the the Razor or whatever. All the phones had physical buttons. They all had a you know a, a green send button and a red end button, and then suddenly the iPhone appears and just totally rewrites them. It's instantly uh, uh, recognizable as better. Um, Watching this video gave me that same feeling. I feel like I had that with the mouse back in the day. I had that with the iPhone, you know, in, I suppose, 2007. And if the prototypes that he's showing in this video come out, uh, you know, in in force and actually, uh, you, you know, platforms... Uh, you're able to to do useful work with uh, this kind of a uh, programming environment and this kind of a way to interact. Um, and he shows other things, uh, you know, like video editing or you know, like flash yeah. file keyframe editing. Uh, shows far better ways to do things. If those things come to fruition, it's just like a uh, uh, iPhone moment. And my argument is. Really, there's no technical reason anymore. It's just a question of time. Yeah, I agree. You know, the iPad 1, yeah, the iPad 1 is fast enough to do all this stuff. The, yep. the, even the video editing, I mean, it may be, maybe newer ones, faster ones, whatever will be better, but it really is fast enough at least to create that environment and get it going. It's just a question of imagination and therefore time. So we give it, we give it five years and like everybody's talking about, um, you know, oh, the iPad, for example, is not a content creation device. I argue it very much is, but it really does take time for those content creation apps and UIs to solidify and become great. Because imagine, imagine an iPhone app, for example, where you could read any book, read any PDF, whatever, but it allowed you to draw on the pages. Yeah, that's it. Nothing yeah. else. Simple. Just draw on the pages, just with your finger on the page, and then you can, you know, it stays with the file. And the next time you open, you can erase it if you want, but you know, it basically stays. So you could write notes, whatever it is. You can skim through things. Just that. I mean, it, it just new new ideas in the way to do UI. I think is is what multi-touch gives gives you, and and it's really been a failure of imagination uh, over the last few years. Um, but it, but it's going to change in a big way, and it already is. You know, you see glimmers of it with this uh, eye circuit thing and, and others. Um, so anyway, now we've gone way over time. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so, yeah. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week and uh, we'll talk to you then.